wonder if you've uh, ever heard the story about the three sisters who lived together. Um, one of them was 97, uh, the other was 98, and the other one was 99. And they were getting a bit forgetful in their old age. Maybe you can relate to that. Mind you, I mean, I'm 33 this year and I get really forgetful. Um, but one night, uh, this 99-year-old uh, went to run a bath. And she went to put her feet into the bath. And just as she was putting her toe into the bath, she paused and she thought, am I getting into the bath? I can't remember. Or am I supposed to be getting out of the bath? So she shouted down to her sisters and said, I can't remember. Am I getting into the bath or out of the bath? And the sister said, oh, hang on, I'll come up and help. So the 98-year-old went up to help her. But as the 98-year-old was halfway up the stairs, she forgot why she was going up. And she thought, am I going up the stairs or going down the stairs? I can't quite remember. So anyway, the 97-year-old was sat at the table and she heard this going on. And she thought to herself, oh, I'm so glad that um, I'm not as forgetful as that. Uh, let's touch wood. And she knocked on, the, uh, knocked on the table. And she shouted up to her sisters, I'll come up and give you a hand just as soon as I answer the door. <laughs> now, I don't know if you find yourself forgetful. Do you forget things? It is so easy to find yourself forgetting things. Um, to be honest, uh, it's, you can forget names. You can forget faces. Um, have you ever forgotten where you've parked? Those of you who've got a car or you've been out, yeah, you've gone into scenes where you come out and you're like, where on earth did I park? You just can't remember. Um, and of course, if you do forget anniversaries, that's, uh, that, well, you find out about that, don't you? You know, you don't want to forget those sort of things. And today we carry on uh, looking at the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, um, exploring this idea of forgetting, because these people forgot something absolutely crucial, something actually deadly serious. They forgot God, or at least they forgot the, the one true God. They forgot the God of their ancestors. And to be honest, God had just sort of like slipped their minds. He had drifted away. He wasn't on their hearts anymore. In fact, God used to be on the head, like the headlines of their hearts. And now he is just sort of yesterday's chip paper blowing down the street. They forgot God and they forgot three things about God. They forgot his position. They forgot his plan and they forgot his passion. And his deliberate, so their deliberate forgetting of God had devastating consequences. And we're going to go through those three things. The first thing is they forgot God's position. Our passage starts with God using a visual aid. He brings Jeremiah in and he shows him the potter's wheel, like the potter at work. Um, there's a picture for you up there of someone making a pot. And, uh, you know, you've got the, the, the potter in the, in the hands and, uh, you know, making that pot together. And it's a reminder, actually, that God speaks to us through visual things. Um, maybe you've, you've, you've experienced that. You've, you've just felt maybe a bit low, and then you've seen something, and God seems to have spoken to you through that. It might not be words, but it might just be a picture. God is in the business of speaking to us through images. But here he talks about something through this picture very, um, very profoundly to Jeremiah. And first, Jeremiah says, sees one thing. He, says that he sees the clay at work. You see, there's the clay on there. And God explains that this clay represents Israel, you know, his nation, or it represents the people of God. And in many ways, we can look at it and see the clay is representing me and representing you. The clay is the people of God. And in a way, on our own, we're just sort of lumps of stuff. <laughs> I hope you're not offended me calling you a lump. <laughs> Probably not keen on that. But without the potter coming along and making us into something, we are just sort of lumps of clay, like formless, chaotic. 
but he can come and make us into something beautiful. And even when the, something goes wrong, he can remold the clay into something new. So Jeremiah saw the clay, but secondly, he would have saw the wheel. You know, you probably, you can see the wheel on the thing, it goes round and, you know, the guy's doing this. <laughs> Maybe he's, he's more elegantly than that, like, you know, he's not at a hoedown, but you know, <laughs> he's doing the whole clay thing, it's going round and round. And of course, that's what brings the pressure onto the, um, the, ha- the hands go up against the clay and it turns round and the pressure is able to make the clay into something. Um, in many ways, you could say the wheel is a bit like life. Um, life seems to go round and round and does anyone feel a bit dizzy with life at the moment? I, I'm feeling a little bit dizzy with life at the moment. You know, just things going round and round. You can have hassles, you can have stresses, and the pressures of life can, can push on you. And um, if you find yourself in that position this morning, feeling the pressures of life, understand that just as the potter needs that pressure to make the pot into something, God will use those pressures that you're experiencing to make you into something beautiful. And without that pressure, we, we do still remain lumps. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But thirdly, he would have seen the potter. He's seen the wheel, he's seen the clay, but he sees the potter. And the image is of God as this great plot potter who comes along and makes this clay into something. And just as we talked about before, the clay wouldn't be in his right mind for the clay to leap up and say, I want you to make me into an ashtray, do it. <laughs> that doesn't happen, does it? The potter decides what to do with the clay. And this um, idea is um, backed up in Romans 9. Let me read this to you. Paul says this. But who are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for disposal of refuse? In other words, he's saying, God, if he wants to, he is the potter. He can make us into a vase of flowers or a bin of rubbish. He can do whatever he likes. He's in charge. If you wanted to make us into a bin of rubbish, we couldn't go and say, uh, excuse me, I demand you make me into a vase of flowers. The good news is, of course, that he actually wants to build us into something beautiful and holy and righteous. And he wanted the nation of Israel to be like that. He really was passionate about this nation to become something godly and fair and beautiful. And to be honest, God wants the same thing for our nations today. He wants the nations of the world to be godly and fair and beautiful and make them into something precious and wonderful. You know, God doesn't want our society where there's kids running around and stabbing each other and shooting one another. God doesn't want a situation where we have uh, one country uh, suffering from um, starvation, people dying every day because they haven't got enough to eat, and yet another country suffering from record levels of obesity. I mean, just that one issue speaks volumes about the state of the human heart, do you not think? God doesn't want our world to be this way. He has a better way for us. He wants to build us into something different. But they had forgotten God's position. And in many ways, we could say in in the world today, maybe nations have forgotten God's position as as a leader and ends up going down all sorts of different routes. They'd forgotten God's position. That's the first thing. The second thing is they'd forgotten God's plan. And in fact, you could say the nation of Israel couldn't care less about the plan of God because God does have a plan for them, this plan to make them into a great nation. And they're doing their own thing. They're worshiping false gods and idols. And in other words, they're making themselves like unworkable as clay. They want to be clay in the potter's hand, but they're so stubborn, so rebellious. God just can't really do anything with them. It'd be like going to a potter and say, hey, there's a brick, you know, <laughs> make me a nice vase for my flowers. 
you know, it's unworkable, clear, and their rebellion is making that happen. And God's just in, 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 in the position where he's looking at them and saying, well, I really am passionate about building you into something beautiful, but if you keep rebelling against me, I'm gonna have no other choice but to smash the clay down and start again. And if we, actually, if we look on um, chapter 19, if you've got the Bible up in front of you, uh, just glancing at chapter 19, we find that God is saying this really clearly. God sends Jeremiah back to the potter's house. It was page 777, that was right. I remember that one, yeah. Um, so I guess it'd be 778, <laughs> around that. God sends Jeremiah back to the potter's house and asks him to buy a pot and tells him to take this pot to the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Now, you might not know much about the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but if this was a film, if we saw this pictured in a film, when Jeremiah said the words Ben-Hinnom, the music would have went, it would have been scary. Because Ben-Hinnom is the place you do not want to go. Let me tell you a little bit about this place. It's the place, it was like the rubbish dump of the land in the southern part of Jerusalem. When, uh, when dogs and cats and pets died and animals just on the street, when they died, all of the corpses got chucked out into the valley of Ben-Hinnom. When a criminal was executed, um, when they hung him or, or, or killed him or whatever, crucified him, they would be, the corpses would be chucked out into Ben-Hinnom. It was just a place of stinking death. It was not very nice. And the people actually had begun to call it Gehenna, which is another word for hell. They began to think that this valley was the place that had the actual gateway to hell. Getting an idea of how horrible this place is. And Jeremiah, through God's direction, tells the people, the elders of the people and the senior priests to go there and to take this pot with them. And I wonder what they were thinking. Jeremiah, why do you want to take me there? I'd rather go to Alton Towers, thank you very much. But no, they go to Ben Hinnom. And this is what he's got to say. Listen to this. Chapter 19, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And you've got to get this bit. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. This is where it gets a bit more disturbing. We start discovering the extent of what this country has started to do now that they don't have God in charge. Verse 5. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command nor mention nor did it enter my mind. Yes, it's true. Among the bodies of the cats and the dogs and the criminals executed were the bodies of their children. They'd begun sacrificing their children, burning them alive to Baal. You know, it's amazing what can happen um, when we decide not to have God in charge, the crazy ideas people can come up with. And you can look through history where people have decided to uh, ignore the, the teaching of the Bible and do some incredibly twisted and sick things to one another. And it's interesting to see that actually this is not God's intention. This is not God's style to um, sacrifice children. Um, that is not his, that's not what he's about. Some of you who maybe struggled to get your kids out of bed this morning might be disappointed with that. But no, it's not God's style, right? Um, in fact, it reminds us that, you know the story about Abraham and Isaac? Um, when he says to Abraham to sacrifice his child? It reminds us that it never even crossed God's mind that he would actually go through with it. 
This was a test. It never crossed his mind. It says there very clearly, I didn't command this. It didn't even enter my head, says God. This is not my style. Do not do this. It's amazing what we end up doing when we don't have God in charge and we forget who he is. And it's almost like God's looking at this nation and saying, what happened? I was going to make you into something beautiful and there you are. You are killing your own children. It is sick. And this is where we start to discover God's passion, something that they'd forgotten. We've looked at those two things, but this last thing, God's passion. If we look at um, chapter 18, we find how passionately God cares about these people. He is so passionate. God seems almost bewildered that his people are acting like this. He's just like, what on earth? How could this happen? Sometimes I wonder, um, when you see a news report of some uh, a, a serial killer or something, or, or a murderer on TV, and um, Harold Shipman or someone like that, and you've got the big story and the, the horror of the story, I do sometimes wonder, God, I wonder what, their, what his parents would have thought. You know, maybe brought up in a family that was, was, was difficult and precious and maybe that added to it, but maybe, you know, just brought them up in a completely fine family, tried their best, and just something went strange and they did this. How, it must, how, must, how much they must be bewildered, these parents. What happened? And God is like this, he's looking at the nation of Israel, and I think in many ways looking at us today even, and saying, what happened? I wanted to make you into something beautiful. And you've just messed it up so big. And we see God's sorrow. Look at verses 13 to 14. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, inquire among the nations, who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow on Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Does its cool waters from distant sources ever cease to flow. He's basically saying, have you ever seen this sort of thing happen in nature? Look at a mountain, it's got lovely snow on the top. Could you ever imagine that the snow one day would get up and say, I'm going on holiday, I'm gonna go and live in the desert? Of course not. Firstly, snow doesn't speak, just, to, just in case you didn't know. But also, snow is, it's natural for snow to exist in cold places. God's saying, you know, is it natural for that to happen? No, it's got to stay in, co in cold places. And then the, the, the waters of Lebanon, imagine those waters suddenly deciding, I think we'll stop flowing. I think we'll stop obeying the current. Of course not. They carry on doing it. It's natural for them to do that. You don't see this in nature. And God comes along and says, Would it, w w could it even be possible for people to abandon their loving father and their loving creator who knows them best and has a plan to prosper them? And, Surely that's not possible. It's not natural. And yet that's exactly what's happened. And God's shaking his head in sorrow. You can hear the heartbreak of God in verse 15. Yet my people have forgotten me. They've forgotten me. I'm yesterday's news. They burn incense to worthless idols, which makes them stumble in their ways and in their ancient paths. And so to convince the uh, leaders at the time, he picks up the pot. Here's a pot. And he gets it and he smashes it. Now, if anyone smashed that, I'd be very upset. It's only a pot, right? It's only a symbol, but it's a symbol of something. If you smashed that pot, you wouldn't really be in my good books for a little while. <laughs> you wouldn't be in joys either. Because this is a symbol of something precious and beautiful. They're not gonna be upset by him just smashing a pot, but it's the symbol of the nation of the relationship with the nation with God and he smashes it and it's a symbol to say God is gonna have, he's had enough. He's bringing it to an end. He's gonna smash this place if they don't turn, if they don't change their ways. And I wonder how they must feel. They're standing there in this scary place of death 
there's Jeremiah's fearsome words. Did they get disturbed? Did they get upset? Possibly, but it didn't really make much of an impression. They forgot about it as well because they don't repent. They don't turn back to God. They carry on doing what they're doing. Next day, they probably went and sacrificed another child. And God says, this is enough. I've had enough. I'm going to crush this clear down. They'd forgotten God's compassion. You know, just to conclude all of this, um, I'm not saying, right, that we ought to take these verses from Jeremiah and apply them to today and say that God is on the poise of smashing the world. Um, I, I don't want to take this out of context because this is a specific prophecy said to a specific time and a specific um, nation. But at the same time, we do want to ask ourselves the question, are there similarities with our world and the world of then? Are there similarities in the sense of people forgetting God, of not having God as the, in, in charge, you know? And Jeremiah would especially want to ask the question of Christians, of the Christian church. Is it possible for the Christian church to forget God as the leader, to forget God is the one who makes the rules, not the committees, not the uh, denominations, that God is the one in charge? And if the answer was yes, then that's not, not a good sign. The great thing is God's compassionate and he gives us this time to repent and turn. So my message really, the God's message I should say through me hopefully, is simply this, remember God. Remember him, not in a sort of, oh, remember the good old days type way, but in a, in a way that actually affects our lives. And every day remembering, like I remember to eat food, but that's not just in a sort of nostalgic way, it actually makes me eat stuff. Um, it's remembering God actually affects how we live. Remember, firstly, God's position. That's what they forgot. Remember that he's in charge. Remember that we're the clear. We don't tell God what to do. I know it's hard. And I know that sometimes the wheel of life might turn in a way that you feel the pressure of life so much. It's just awful. In some ways, you might sit there saying, God, are you a sadist? God, are you trying to torture me? Is there something wrong with you? What have I done wrong? Why are you allowing this to happen? If you're in that position, don't forget God's passion, God's compassion for you, that he loves you more than you love yourself. And don't forget God's plan, that he wants to use these pressures to make you into something beautiful. It doesn't mean he causes the pressures that he says, right, I'll send that horrible pressure. But he looks at this chaotic world where people do horrible things to one another. And he says, I'm gonna try and use those bad things and mold them into something good. He's passionately involved. And one last thing I would say is when you pay attention to those potter's hands that are at work on your life, when you really look closely, you'll start to see something. You'll see the skill, you'll see the planning, you'll see the expertise in the hands, but you'll also start to notice the wounds in those hands as well. There are wounds in those hands. You'll start to remember just what it cost God to make us into workable clay you'll start to understand the price he paid, the, the tears that he shed, the blood, sweat, and tears that went through this whole project to make us into workable clay. Because just on our own, we are nothing. But with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the biggest sacrifice of them all, it's that that regenerates us and makes us into clay worth using. Clay that's malleable and clay that can actually turn you into a work of art. I was at an art gallery yesterday, um, it sounds a bit hoi polloi in that, but you know, <laughs> we just went, it was, it was quite cool. And looking at these works of art, I was like, man, it's really clever, really good stuff, fascinating things. You, God wants to make you into something beautiful. 
He wants to make me into something beautiful and shame on me when I decide to slip into the ugly and horrible actions and thoughts that I often end up doing. Maybe like you have those sort of struggles as well. Don't let God slip your memory like they did. Don't forget God.